If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles, or if you'd like to turn in your Bible app, um, I told this man last week, I said, you've made a huge mistake. You did a good job at something I asked you to do. So I asked Joseph to read the scripture just kind of at the last minute, and he did a wonderful job. And so I'm asking him to do that again. It's Acts chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there, he'll be reading that passage of scripture, and you can follow along on your Bible, uh, in your Bible or on your Bible app. And uh, he'll be reading a a good section of scripture. And uh, then we'll get into the preaching and teaching time. Paul, his life and his letters. Go ahead, Joseph. Thank you. Acts 9, 3 through 19, Saul's conversion. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened up his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord told him, go into the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who are called by your name. But Saul said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul remained in Damascus with the disciples for several days. Again, that's Acts 3 through 19. Acts 9, 3 through 19. Thank you so much, Joseph. And let's say our scripture declaration together today. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Amen. So I am starting and uh, have just recently begun a brand new teaching series entitled Paul, His Life, and His Letters. This is something that I do almost every single summer uh, where I go into a biographical uh, sketch on the things that are going on um, in these different lives because they're so easy for us to relate to. We've done David, we've done Joseph, we've done Elijah, we've done Esther, uh, we have, have done others as well, Joseph I'm missing, and then we are doing Paul today. And so 
This is a, a message series that we'll be going into, but it will be not just this biographical and historical sketch. It's going to be something that you can see and you can understand right off the bat, hey, this is something I can identify with because every single person in the scriptures is not made out to be some hero. They're just simply human beings who are living with God as they walked along the road. Over the last couple of weeks, we've gone through a few different uh, lessons and messages, and I think I've got a couple of those listed here. We talked about the origins of the late Saul of Tarsus because this experience that we're talking about, this Damascus Road experience, Saul was a very different individual on that side of it than when he came through that and on past that. And then we talked about this last week, this near-death experience near Damascus. And then today, a little bit of a continuation because I didn't want to keep going too long, but I did have more to share with you. Honestly, this is a powerful passage of scripture from Acts chapter 9 as it details the narrative of Paul coming to the Lord and him being arrested by the Lord. As St. Augustine said, it was the violent takeover of a rebel will. And so if you look at Saul of Tarsus and who he was, and I talked a lot about that in the first week, he was not the man that we know as the Apostle Paul. He became that man, but he was not that man until God really truly got a hold of his life. And so today we're talking about week number three, God's rejection of our self-reliance. And we can see what God does with this man that was known as Saul and will become known as Paul. And so we see what God did with him and how he put him on a brand new path and what that path looked like. So let's begin. Some of this information will be some of what we shared last week. You may hear it new for the first time if you weren't able to be here, but it will be good for you to be able to come back and remember it from last week. So let's go to our next slide, another something to learn. Saul has what is known as the Damascus Road experience. And that narrative is found in Acts 9. That's the one that Joseph just read for us. Then later, Paul is arrested and stands before Agrippa, a man who has changed his life altogether. And he is standing before Agrippa and giving his defense of himself as he's being sent to Rome because he appeals to Caesar. And in Acts 26, Paul gives us additional insight to this experience. So in other words... Acts chapter 9 is the narrative of it. Acts chapter 26 is Paul's view of what happened to him as the person that was the main character. Are you guys with me? Y'all understand? And so we have some extra information, some that is in 9 that is not in 26, some of this in 26 that is in not in chapter 9. And so because of that, it's got some extra texture and some extra layers to it that are really powerful and very interesting. So let's go to our next slide. We'll talk about those. But let's begin here in Acts chapter 26. This is the description from Paul. He says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. So we know he's talking about this thing that we just read about in Acts 9. And about noon, King Agrippa, who he's standing before, as I was on that road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing all around me and my companions. And I talked last week about how close people are sometimes to a miracle and they don't even realize it. Being this close to life-changing power and yet missing it, it is a tragedy. And then in verse 14, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
And then I ask, who are you, Lord? In other words, that word Lord there also could mean master. In other words, Saul didn't know who he was talking to. He just knew he was talking to his better. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like he knew whoever he was was stronger, better, and bigger than he was, but he didn't know who it was. And I promise you, when Jesus answers him, it is a shock and it takes his world and turns it upside down. Let's keep going. And then Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. And I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles, and I will send you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then in the last part, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So let's go to our next slide and talk a little bit about what we've just seen. Where is Jesus in this passage in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 26? He's the one who answers the question, who are you, Lord or Master? And he identifies himself as the one who Saul was ultimately persecuting. Now, let's stop for just a quick second. (laughs) Who did Saul think he was persecuting? A bunch of Jews who had turned their backs and had become brand new, very first group and generation of Christians. Who did Jesus say he was persecuting? Himself. That's right. That's right. Somebody over here gets a gold star. (laughs) What does this tell us? When he says we are the body of Christ That's not a declaration, so it sounds good. That's exactly how Jesus sees us. When he says to Paul, you're persecuting me, he hasn't touched Jesus' body, but he's touched his kids. Now, how many of y'all have kids or grandkids in here? Can I see your hands? If somebody touches your kids or grandkids, they've touched you, haven't they? (laughs) And then you will probably be tempted to touch them back. Can I get an amen? Right? You see what I'm saying? Why? Because if you want to hurt me, you can hurt me all you want and I will be fine. But we might not be okay if you go after my kids. What Jesus is saying is that that is my body. Every one of them that's going from darkness to light and choosing to walk away from Satan's power to my own is now my body and my family. Don't touch my children. Right? So, it has become fashionable in our modern world to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. You can't do that. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't come to me and stand in front of me and say, I love you, but Tori, Taryn, and Tatum, I got no use for them. They're trash. That doesn't fly with me. Don't try it. Don't don't try it, okay? And I won't try it with you. Why? Because that is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone, right? That's our kids. That's not going to fly. 
in our world, we've got to be very, very careful that the one organization that Jesus left behind, which is the church, is the one that we look at and say, it may not be perfect because I know my kids aren't perfect, but I also know that they have potential to be better and to change and to continue to get more and more like they should be. Now, I'm here to tell you, the church is not what it should be. But we don't get the script to tear it up and say, well, let's start over and do something else because that's not what Jesus said. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, isn't that true? Isn't that right? This is the church. And most of the time, what we want to do is we want to point fingers instead of rolling up our sleeves and being part of the solution rather than the ones who can pick out the problems. Now, I'm going to talk to us here at Eagle Heights for a second. I think we're part of the solution. I think that for too long, the church has been divided and separated and segmented according to racial lines and things like that. And just take for a moment, a second and look around. And this is the kingdom of God. Like this is what the kingdom of God looks like. I think that we are part of the solution but we have to be a part of the solution, not just in one area, but in many. Can I get an amen on the amen? I mean, this is how it should look, but we should be touching people's lives too. And so for us, I think we're part of the solution because if you haven't noticed, the world is desperately seeking peace because there is none to be found out there. And they are experiencing what Paul was experiencing back when he was known as Saul. He was kicking against the goads, and we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to do my little weird dance that I did last week just to remind you what it means. But here's the truth. There are people that are being goaded by God towards him, and yet they are rebelling and going away. And so we are part of the solution if we can be there to help them and say, this is God trying to reach you, not trying to punish you. He wants you to love him and come home to him, not to turn away from him and run from him. But if we're not there to verbalize that, they may never know. So we're part of the solution, we're part of the family, and we're part of what Jesus looks down and says, you're persecuting the most important thing in the world to me, you need to stop. And by the way, I'm going to make you a captain on my team from this point forward. And Paul's life changes, he becomes the man who says later, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, and yet it is Christ that lives in me, and the power that I live in in this world is through Christ and not my own. So he changes everything and everything changes because of his commitment in this time. Okay, so let's keep moving here as we go to one more, don't miss this. Acts 9 narrative about Saul and Paul on that Damascus road says Ananias is told that Paul will be sent to Gentiles and their kings. And Paul retells it in 26. And he says that Jesus told him, that he had been saved for a specific purpose and a specific mission, but to wait for Ananias. 
Did you guys hear that when Joseph read it? There's a man that's going to come. He's going to lay his hands on you. And when he does, you will be able to see again. Because Paul said, I saw a light so bright from heaven that it knocked me from the donkey that I was on into the middle of the road. Everybody saw the light. I alone heard the voice. And I was blinded for at least three days. And the time that I will be able to see again is going to happen when a man who is a believer in Christ named Ananias will come and lay his hands on me and pray for me. Actually, let me back that up. A man named Ananias who is a believer will come and pray for me to receive my sight. That's all that was said. Ananias did more. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right, let's keep going here. Keep moving. Here's our big idea that God uses and blesses me most in his family, which is the church. God uses and blesses me most in his family, the church. Here's what I mean by that. It is important that we understand that where God's kingdom work is being done is where his blessings are continuing to be poured out. And I'm just going to say this. It is important for us, and I'm just going to say it. I know that the pandemic was a difficult time, but it has shifted our focus more upon ourselves than we've ever had in our lives. And I want to be very clear. I don't think that the pandemic changed much. It just accelerated everything. We were already moving in the direction where it was all about me and I rarely thought about other people. And the pandemic just reinforced it for two straight years and gave me reasons to not think about or do for anyone else. And so we have had that happen for years now and it is time for us to be shaken. I'm not saying this stuff to try to be mean, rude or anything like that, but I cannot be your mentor unless occasionally I am your tour mentor, okay? This is true. The truth is, is that for us, we have focused on us too long and focused on helping others too seldom. And it's been years now. And that does not change us for the better. I didn't know if I'd get an amen, but I think I probably could if we really thought about it. And I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to me. And this is important that God uses and blesses me the most in this family and what we do in this world, in this community. So can we say this out loud together on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. God uses and blesses me most in his family, the church. Now let's go back to that guy named Ananias. Let's go to our next slide and let's talk about Ananias. Paul, speaking to King Agrippa, said that Jesus told him it's hard to kick against the goads. A goad was a long stick with a sharp point that a farmer would use to poke the leg of an animal that would not work. An ox that wouldn't move, a donkey that wouldn't move, he'd poke it lightly, sometimes not so lightly. But if an ox kicked upward against that, and here's where I do my silly little dance, okay? Imagine I'm a beast on all fours and I get poked right here and I kick up against it. And that sharp stick is already on my hindquarters. Fortunately for me, I've got plenty of padding, but it's, you know, 
So you kick up against that, what's going to happen? It's going to be even more painful. So when God was speaking, when God's son Jesus is speaking to Paul, he says, I've been poking you for years to get you to where I wanted you to be. And all you've ever done is kick against and kick against and kick against my leadership and my corralling of you to where I want you to be. And aren't you tired of kicking against the goats? Like, aren't you tired of doing it your own way and doing nothing but harming yourself? That's what he's saying. So as he says that, this is interesting. We hear about that in Acts 26 as Paul retells it. It's a personal detail. When God's son speaks to him, he hears it. Nobody else hears it. It's not in that narrative, but it's in the remembrance. And isn't it cool how God speaks to every single one of us in our own way? And he speaks to us not for others to hear, but for us to obey. Let's go to our next slide. Saul's conversion appears to us as being a sudden encounter with Christ, but based on the Lord's expressions regarding Saul's kicking back against the goads, I believe he'd been working on Saul for years, prodding him and goading him, reaching out to him and trying to reach to him. Very quickly, I'm going to hit four goads and I'm going to hit them really, really, really fast. So here's two of them. Here's two goads that you may face. A time of life-altering failure or loss. I believe that every single person, and usually in their mid-30s or early 40s, they come to a time where there is life-altering failure or loss, and it hits almost everybody. And what's interesting is, is we think we've got the world by the tail and we think we've got it all figured out and everything is moving in our direction. And then we hit this wall that changes our view of life and it also often changes our view of ourselves. This is where it's hard for us to go back and pick up the pieces and say, I still have hopes, still have dreams. This is a loss and a death of innocence a difficulty that we can't get past without God and without a reorganization of self. Now, I won't ask what yours was. I have my own. We all do. I have a feeling you have experienced or you will experience it. And it makes you think, how should I live my life moving forward? This is a goad trying to move you towards God. A saltwater soul... I preached this message a number of years ago, all the way back in 2017, and it's on this next slide. This was the background that I had. I think it said, when having it all leaves us all wanting more. I mean, when we've received everything that we thought we could ever wish for, we made it to the finish line and we crossed those things that we saw as goals. And then we looked around and went, is this all that there is? We start checking off the boxes of goals and dreams and we start hitting those markers and then we realize, you know what? I'm doing all these things that I thought would make me happy and I realize I'm still feeling empty. When having it all leaves you wanting more, that's God goading you towards him. Let's go to our next slide. Two more here. That still small voice reminding you of all of the times that God was there as you look back in hindsight, and he was pursuing you. 
and you realize all along that he's been there all along. And then fourth, you have a winsome or authentic Christian who steps into your life and they're not trying to be something fake, but they're authentic and they're real and they're genuine. And then you go, there's something different about that man or woman and I want more of what they have going on in their life. Those are four goads that you could face. Saul faced others, probably including the martyr's death and the death of Stephen. And he probably was changed forever by those things. But here's these four goads that we may face. And I want to just mention a few other things as we look at Saul here. Let's keep moving. We're going to do this quickly here. So let's go to this next. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. Lord said, go to the house of Judas on straight street. Ask for a man named Saul of Tarsus. And basically I'm going to shorten this down. Ananias said, Lord, are you serious? Cause I know who that is. And I am uninterested. <laughs> Pass that one along to the next disciple because I'm not interested. Surely you've called the wrong number, Lord. And the Lord said, no, no, you go. He said, but Lord, he's throwing people in jail. There are people that are losing their life because of him. And you want me to go and pray for him? And the Lord says, yes, go. Ananias goes with a great attitude. Mm, okay, well, Ananias goes. <laughs> Can I get an amen? I mean, sometimes we don't have the best attitude, but we at least obey. Have you ever had that experience where you at least obey, but you know you didn't go with the best attitude? This is Ananias, and this is why I love the scriptures, because, man, they don't pretend that Ananias was excited. Lord, no problem. This is great. Awesome. I'm, I'm so excited about going and laying hands and praying over a man who could have me killed. This is great. No, no, no. This is real life business. This is authenticity. And he says, Lord, I've heard of this guy. Can you not send me to him, please? God says, go. Because he has already seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and praying over him so that he might receive his sight. If you're Paul and you heard God say, you will have somebody named Ananias come and pray over you and you will be able to see again. How powerful is it that you heard the voice nobody else has been asked for or sent for and a man walks through the door and says, Brother Saul, I have come to pray for you. And you say, who is that that just walked in the door? I can't see who is it that just walked in the door? My name is Ananias, and you haven't said a word. One more confirmation that he truly is Lord, not just of Saul's life, but of other people's lives. Are you guys with me? Y'all here? What if Ananias didn't go? What if Ananias said, no, Lord, I'm scared to death. And I ain't going to do that. Send someone else. Now, I know there's probably another man named Ananias somewhere. And the Lord may have used him, but he had a very specific purpose. And it was a very powerful reminder 
that God has a specific purpose for you and me. And when we do what God has called us to do, that oftentimes hits in a way that nobody else can, we are showing him that we are still the body of Christ. And even though he's there, his hands keep reaching. His feet keep going. His words keep getting spoken from his mouth. And can I tell you something else? Ananias walked in that door and he could have prayed for him. But he didn't just do that. The Bible says he called him brother and that he went over and he put his hands on him and prayed for him. He went over and above what God had told him to do. He had a baseline of obedience and he had a fear, but he said, you know what? If I'm gonna be obeying, I'm gonna give it my all. I'm not gonna do it halfway. I ain't gonna half step. I'm not gonna do it a partial way. I'm gonna swallow my fear and I'm gonna lay my hands on this man and I'm gonna pray for him. And can you imagine Saul who just knew that there would be nobody who would give him a chance or believe that he was actually a Christian. The very first words that he hears from somebody he knows to be a Christian, brother Saul, Jesus has sent me to you so that your sight may be restored. And boom, scales fall from his eye, something like scales, the Bible says. And God's family, once again, embodies God's power as they obey God's command. You see what I'm saying? This is powerful, and this is a reminder that we are the body of Christ. And if we aren't doing our jobs, if we're not a part of God's kingdom work, then the kingdom degrades and falls rather than rises and changes people. And so this is important for us to see and understand. Oh man, so much to say in so little time. Literally so little time. Okay, list of Paul's co-workers. I'm gonna share this with you very quickly. The list of Paul's co-workers. This is not even a complete list, but this is a lot of them. There's 21 people on this list that we know of that Paul used as a part of his ministry, co-laborers with them. And you know about the Apostle Paul, and he's the quote-unquote heroic figure. He's the missionary. He's the man who did all of these things, but he didn't do a single thing about anything in the kingdom work without having somebody by his side to help him. We'll talk more about why that is a possibility in the next couple of weeks, probably next week. But can I just say this? Could Jesus have said to him, go there for three days, keep praying, and when you've prayed enough, I'll let the scales fall from your eyes? Could he have done that, yes or no? He could have. Then why did he send somebody? Why did he send somebody? Because he did not want Paul or Saul to think that it was about him and him alone. And let me tell you something, in our world in 2023, we've been told that spirituality is a me and God thing. And it's never actually been a me and God thing. 
It's always been a me and God and us thing. Ten commandments. Four of them about you to your God, the vertical. And six more about the horizontal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. None of those have to do with anybody that doesn't have skin on. It's me to you, you to me. This is God's family stuff that we've got to be involved in. And we can't think that someone else will and someone else ought to. But we've got to say, no, no, that's my job. Why? Because I'm a child of God. And just like he called Paul for a very specific purpose, he's called me to do the same. And so we have to be his hands and his feet extended And I'm just fearful that because of all that I've said and shared already, we've found ways for it to drift off of the front burner and drift to the back burner or maybe all the way off the stove altogether. I am not here to poke my finger in anybody's chest. I'm not. I promise you I'm not. But it is important for us to have somebody to call us back to what is actually important. And I would just say that the goads that we see all around our world are reminding us that every time we try to find anything that looks like peace or satisfaction in anything that is not named Jesus, it ain't going to work. He keeps goading us to go back to where we actually found that peace And we can kick against it all we want or we can submit to it and say, you know what? You're right. I have a saltwater soul and you're the only drink of water that fixes it. Whether that's pleasure, possessions, (laughs) fame, fortune, all the different things, all that stuff does not matter when seen through the eyes of what God provides. It just doesn't. I say it all the time. I share it all the time. St. Augustine said, we have a restless soul and we will remain restless until we find our rest in you and you alone. It's not exactly what he said, but that's exactly what he said. Ah, So much. I, I can't keep going Uh, without keeping us too long. And I don't want the power of the message to be dissipated because I've taken up too much time trying to cover too much ground. This is part of why I love preaching a message series because I can pick some of this up tomorrow or next Sunday and share some more of this with you. But let me just share this with you as we kind of close. Let's go to our apply by real quick. This is how we can apply this message. We submit our rebel will to the Lord who loves us and has a purpose for us. We know him more through his word and then we do those things that we know. And then we submit our actions, attitudes, whether that be at work or home or even in our private life. And then we make the choices with our time, our talent and our treasure that honor God. Those are just some things how we can apply this message. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna share this next slide, slide number 28, if you don't mind. Everybody knows what this is. This is the white flag of surrender. Last week, I shared a little bit of that. Um, 
and the history of that militarily. But I, sh- I share something very, very short and brief. There was a woman who has a blog, and it goes to this next slide and then one more. Um, there's the history part, and then we go to one more here. There's a woman here that is called In Due Time. And I won't go deep into it, but basically this woman shares her story of surrender. And it says basically that she wanted beyond all things a child, but could not. She was dealing with infertility, which is a difficult, difficult thing for most people to go through that have faced that. (laughs) I won't tell you all the details. If you'd like to go back and read that and listen to a podcast that she has, feel free. But here is a line from this article that caught my attention. No, I don't normally deal with infertility blogs and things like that, okay? But I Googled the idea of surrender and stories of surrender, and her story came up. And here's what she wrote. The moment we surrendered is when we realized our struggle wasn't a Caroline story, or her husband's name was Colby, or a Colby story. It was, still is, and always will be a God story. For most of us, we are busy telling our own stories and not letting God tell his story through us. And because of that, his family is not on the same page of where he leads because we're all little generals running our directions and doing what pleases us. This lady has caught it right and is convicting me that it is not a me story, it's not my wife's story, it is God's story, top to bottom, front to back, left to right and everywhere in between. And if we will surrender to that, then we find peace. If we will not, we will keep kicking against the goats. So Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this passage of Scripture, I pray that we would come to the end of ourselves and realize that we have tried and we have sought and we have attempted to find peace, happiness, and fulfillment in so many ways, and it's all come back empty. But here is what I know, Lord. Ultimately, it is about you and you alone. And God, please help us to find our rest that we are desperately seeking in you. May we give ourselves to you, Lord, and may we commit our our lives and our ways to you in everything that we do. God, work within us. Forgive us where we have failed. Forgive us where we have made it about us and not your story. And instead, Lord, may we follow you all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody together said, amen. May God bless you guys in every way. Love you guys so much. And I appreciate your time and your attention as always. And uh, we're done for today, but we're going to end the way that we always do. And I hope that you guys will say it right along with me, okay? We've just heard God's word. Amen to that. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great week. You're dismissed.